In the One Another series, we're talking about, in the Bible, like in especially the New Testament, there's so many one another's. And it's supposed to be that this is how you're supposed to operate as the church, right? Now, we are the church. The church is not a building. It's become a building or an institution of like, that is, um, that right there is a church. And no, like the a building was never supposed to be the church. Like, we are the church, and the Bible gives us how we're supposed to operate with each other, okay? And so that's, what we're, that's the series we're in. And so we'll unveil what this week's one another is in a minute. But I'd just like to start by saying that, and I don't have to tell you guys this, but our world is filled with negativity. Would you guys agree with me there? Like, most of you guys, when you go into your workplaces— it's not everybody's filled with sunshine and rainbows, right? <laughs> like sometimes people are toxic, sometimes they're grumpy, sometimes they're angry. And so you get on social media, and if, you're, if you've ever been on Facebook, you know that's not like a wellspring of positivity. <laughs> Am I right? It's just like this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this part is like, you're bad if you believe this. You, if you just want to feel bad about yourself, just scroll Facebook for like an hour, and then you'll just, <laughs> your self-esteem goes down. Where you thought you were at in life goes down. It's just, it's, just, it's just all a thing. And so we have social media. We have people in the world. Um, the news, if, I don't know where you get your news from, but it's always negative. Negativity sells, right? I, I think there might be a saying for the news, but like blood sells. It does. Um, that's what's going to get the clicks. That's what's going to sell. And so it's like everywhere we turn, there's negativity coming towards us, right? And the outside negativity turns into like inside negativity from us. And I don't know about you guys, but like one of the sins I wrote down on Good Friday and I put on the cross, I mean, I put a couple things, but one of the things I put down, and my missional community knows this because I talk about it in my missional community, is like negativity. Like I just catch myself being negative for no reason. <laughs> Number one, I, I go to an event or a party and I'm just picking out the negatives for no reason instead of just enjoying what God is doing in any given moment, right? You know, and, and it's like we can always just pick out the negativity. And has anybody ever just caught themselves just being like a whole stream of negativity? And then your spouse feeds off of it, and then you feed off of it, and next thing you know, you're in a giant puke fest of negativity. <laughs> and that's really which what it is, a vomit session of negativity. And you know what? What I found is, and I tell this in pre-marriage counseling too, if you're married, the first thing you say when you get home from work, and I, I usually tell this to the guys, but women too, like when you get home from work, the first thing you say to your spouse at the end of the day sets the tone for the rest of the night. If you come in negative, it's going to be a negative night. If you come in positive and just say, hey, honey, how was your day? Man, God is good. That sets a tone for the rest of the night. If you come in negative, hey, why is the trash, you know, so full outside? I thought you, did you forget to take it out? And it's like, even though that might be true, that's not the first thing we share with our spouses at the end of the day because it sets a negative tone, right? And so, and you know, I, like I said, I do this too. For the longest time, I've been complaining that it's cold out. And you know what I did this last week? Complain that it was hot out. Why do I do that? 
I'm just like, oh, it's so hot. I'm like, wait. You know, Nicole's like, why, why are you complaining it's hot out? Like, it's just, we've been begging for this weather for so long. And now you're like, oh, mosquitoes, oh, you know. So we're negative. It's easy to be negative. It's so easy. It's much harder to be positive than it is to be negative. It's easy to be negative. It's easy to point out flaws in people or places. And it, it's harder to point out the good things. And by being negative, not knowing it, we've discouraged people in our lives. We've brought discouragement on people in our lives by how we act. And the thing about it is, it's so easy to discourage somebody. Like, I can, you can discourage somebody in like two seconds with our words and what we say. We all do it. Um, you know, the first thing I say is, you know, Andy might come up to me and say, hey, Jim, it's a good day today. No, it's not. Did you see the news, Andy? It's not good. You know, I got bit by a mosquito last night. It stinks. Um, and you know what I mean? Like, pe- people try to be positive, and then without thinking about it, we're negative. And so today is kind of like switching that thought in our minds a little bit and really focusing on what we say. We have to be careful how we talk because it can be contagious and bring down everybody around us for an entire day. Right? And why is that? Part of it is is because this, words matter. And if you're taking notes and you're writing things down, just write down, my words matter. Every word you say is incredibly important. Now look at this in Proverbs 18.21. If you don't believe me, look in Proverbs. It says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. It's saying death is in the power of your tongue. With your words that you say, you could bring death on somebody, or you could bring life on somebody. And it's so, so incredibly important what we say and do. What we say and do. There's power in our words to build people up, to build up your brothers and sisters at J-Road or in your family or your friends. You could build people up with your words and really just make somebody feel like they're 10 feet tall and really great. Or you could just crush somebody with five words, right? And so God has built us that way. It's a spiritual thing. It's, it's our words are incredibly important. And if we're not careful, it's like we're throwing around words and negativity, kind of like, you know, throwing out grenades at a parade, you know, it's, and it's just causing problems in our life. Um, and, and here is kind of like the best way I could put it. Um, I know many of you guys like my cool backpack here that I took from the kids' ministry. But with our words, and now this is just to illustrate how important words are, all right? And I don't know if my mic's going to just act weird if I get out of here, but we'll see. If I go up to people, and if I say something kind and uplifting, it is like giving a flower to somebody. There you go, Sean. Like, I can really bless somebody with my words, right? But if I am not careful, and if I don't think about the words I say to you, right? Okay. I have a bouquet of knives, actually. There you go. Get out of here. 
just throwing around flowers. Think about this, guys. With your words, you are either going to bless somebody or you are going to wound somebody. Right? (laughs) You're like, man, that would hurt if you got cut by one of these knives. And it's like, yes, you would. But you know what hurts more? Is wounds from somebody, or words from somebody you love that's wounding. If I cut you with this or you get cut by a knife, you will heal and you'll get over it. And I know people, Andy's just going to put this on Instagram. (laughs) Here's your pastor, guys. Knives, flowers. I know people that are still struggling with words that their parents said to them 50 years ago. Because words are like these knives. And many of you, and this is the reason I'm saying this is very important, Many of you don't realize it is, when you say words, you're just throwing out knives to people. And you're cutting them, you're wounding them, you're hurting them. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That isn't true. That's just something our parents said to us. Words hurt. Words are important. And so every time you open your mouth to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, you're either blessing them, or you're hurting them. And you can't say, it's not my fault if you get hurt. You just might be overly sensitive. That's not my problem. Yes, it is. The Bible says when we correct somebody, like let's say somebody legitimately needs to be corrected and you need to use your words to do that. It says we need to do that with gentleness. We need to think about the words we say and like care for their spirit and well-being because your words are either a knife or a flower. They're either a wound or a blessing, right? And it is, and that is not an overstatement of what we're talking about because it says here that death and life are in the power of your words. And so every time you open your mouth, you're pulling out a knife on somebody or you're pulling out a gift. And let's commit to being people who gift people every single day. And not letting one careless word come out of our mouth. Look at Matthew uh, 12, verse 36, the next verse. It says this. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for what? Every empty word they have spoken in their entire life. So on judgment day, at the last days when we're up in heaven, standing before the throne, it says every single one of us will have to give an account for every single word we say. So what God is saying here is our words are incredibly important. We should not be throwing them out frivolously or it's like throwing knives into the audience. It's like throwing knives out at work and we're going to hurt people, we're going to cut people, we're going to wound people. And so we always need to guard our lips. Read James. One, it says the mouth, the tongue is an unruly evil. Who can control it? It's like a little spark that starts a forest fire. It's like the rudder of a ship that controls a whole ship. Your words matter immensely. And so that brings me to our one another's today. And Montine, remind me to hide those knives after service so a kid doesn't grab them. <laughs> uh, it's this. Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. So it says this. Therefore... Encourage one another. That's our one another this week. It says, therefore, encourage one another 
and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Let me pray before we unpack this. God, I pray that you help us guard every word that comes out of our mouth. Help us control our tongues, even though it's next to impossible, but with you, everything is possible. And help us encourage one another. Help us know what encouragement is, how to do it. And I pray that this week that we are encouragers. Just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the meaning of encourage, so we're talking about encourage um, each other. Uh, in a very basic term, it's to give courage to somebody. It's, it means to build them up, um, to give confidence or hope to somebody. So you're either giving them confidence or giving them hope, and I'll explain that in a second. But every one of us needs encouragement every day. Every one of us needs encouragement every day. We are designed in our spiritual walks here on earth because we still have the flesh that we carry. We still are at war with the flesh. Our spirit and our flesh are at war. And so we are all kind of like a tire with a leak. Like we are just, air is just seeping out of our spirit every day, and we are just leaking every day. And that's just kind of how we are designed. I don't know how else to describe it. But what that means is we need to be with Jesus every day and be filled with the spirit every day, be filled with his word, be filled with music that honors God, and that, like, reinflates us. And not only that, we're supposed to get filled from Jesus, but we're supposed to get filled by other people. And so if I see that you're down, I try to come over and encourage you to build you up, like reinflate you. It's like a tire. Like, like we cannot live lives apart from Jesus, and we cannot live our lives apart from the church. We're just not designed to do it. And so if people stop spending time with Jesus every day— and they stop being involved in the body of Christ, they are going to be totally flat. They're going to be totally flat. And that's just how God designed us. We need to fill each other up. Encouraging a, fe a fellow believer is to put his heart and mind back on Christ and off of their problems of life. It's really to shift people's focus back on Jesus. Um, verse 11 says to build them up. It means literally construct or repair or strengthen. And it's like thinking of like a, in a house, if there's a wall that's like crumbling and it's a very important wall and you put braces on it and shear it up, like that's what we're supposed to do to one another is literally embolden or build each other up. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. But only such as a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So do not let some unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And many times in the church, people have taken this verse and means like, don't cuss. You know what I mean? Like, don't cuss. And really, that's not the meaning of this passage. Because you could have a lot of unwholesome talk come out of your mouth and never once say a cuss word. Does that make sense? Thinking, I didn't cuss. No, but you don't have to cuss to tear somebody down. Does that make sense? Um, and so when it talks about this unwholesome talk from your mouth, it says 
Don't have talk that's tearing people down or putting people down or lying. But only such is good for edification, which means building up the church. And so we need to think about that. And so before we jump in exactly how to encourage, I like to talk about what is like false encouragement. Okay, like what's fake encouragement? And there's a verse in Ephesians 5, 6. I'll put it up here. It says this. Let no one deceive you with what? All right, let no one deceive you with what? All right, thank you. For because of such things, God's wrath will come on those who are disobedient. You're like, whoa, that escalated real quick. Um, But let no one deceive you with empty words. And so when I talk about, I'm going to talk about three types of false encouragement. And when I think of false encouragement, I really think of like empty words. It's like, it's like, I don't know why I keep thinking about this, but you know, if I used to ever catch an episode of, like, Oprah Winfrey's show, and she's trying to, like, encourage people apart from the Word of God or apart from Jesus, it's like, that sounds really good, but it has no meat to it. Have you ever had that or heard that or seen that? It's like, man, that sounds good, but I don't know if it's true. And so I have just three types of false encouragement. The first is this, um, unbiblical encouragement unbiblical encouragement. And so what's an example of unbiblical encouragement, and I hear this a lot, is there's like two Christian ladies or two Christian guys, and one of the ladies there needs encouragement, and the other lady says to her, girl, you are enough. Like, oh, girl, I just need to hear that. I just need to know I'm enough. (laughs) And so we say that to each other. We read books about it. And in my opinion, if people write a book called, Girl, You're Enough, I feel like that is very unbiblical. And it's a way to just build up like, Oh yeah, I am enough, I am enough. And the Bible says you're not enough. You're not. It says that we are only enough if we stay on the vine, which is Jesus. We're just a branch of the vine. And if we're just a branch, if we cut ourselves off from the vine, you know what it says? We wither up and die. It's like, no way are any of us here enough. And so we need to be careful how we throw out that. Dude, you're enough. Like, no, you're not. (laughs) Jesus is enough. And with Jesus, we are totally enough. Like, with Jesus, girl, you are enough. But without him, you're not. And so it's important to just not throw out that. It's unbiblical. Um, The other one I, I see sometimes is like, you know, somebody buys like a brand new car, puts it on Facebook. I have nothing against new cars, so God bless you if you bought a new car. Just be given to that building fund campaign if you're doing that too, as long as you're doing both. Um, but they buy a new car and somebody's like, I don't know why I'm using women as an example, but guys too. But it's like, girl, you deserve this. You deserve this. And I don't mean to be like the Debbie Downer, but the only thing we deserve is hell. And by the grace of God, God has blessed us. Like, we really don't deserve anything, right? Like, we don't deserve heaven, but Jesus died on the cross so that we could have it. And we are just give thanks to him. And it's prideful to say, I deserve X, Y, and Z. Every day, any morsel of food we get, any stitch of clothing we have to cover us, any roof over our head is a blessing from God that really is undeserved by us. And so that would be kind of the idea of like 
biblical encouragement. Um, the other one is like, dude, you don't need anybody. You're strong all on your own. You don't need anybody. And that's totally unbiblical. We are designed to need people. We're designed to live interdependent in his church. So, girl, you're enough, or dude, you deserve this, or all these things are not really biblical. And I think I explained that. The second is this, is, is um, giving somebody false hope. Okay? Giving somebody false hope. Um, what's a good example of false hope? Um, it's easy for me a little bit to talk about this because I do a lot of funerals. And, you know, when I was being trained by my senior pastor when I was in training, you know, and he was training me to do funerals, the one thing he says is every time you do a funeral, you share the gospel. Because everybody's, there's a lot of people there at the funeral that are never set foot in the church on a Sunday. So share the gospel. It's very important. And he says also, be careful not to give false hope. He's like, if you don't know the person, like if you don't know the person, you don't know where their heart's at, do not be quick to say, hey guys, grandma is with Jesus today. Because that would be, it could be a lie. Like, I don't know. I didn't know her. And so I'm not saying I don't say that with people that I know and I've heard their testimony and I just know that, but I just don't throw those things out there. Does that make sense? Because it's not true. I mean, it could be false hope. The other thing is, um, you know, any type of false hope. It's, you know, if you tell somebody, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's always going to be okay if you stay close to Jesus. If you're walking far from Jesus, you know, I don't know if it's going to be okay. And so it's always, be always careful not to give somebody hope that's not really there. Any type of false hope in anything other than Jesus. And the last one is, Never say anything to someone that you don't absolutely mean. And if you say, some, say something to somebody that you don't mean, that is called flattery. All right? Now, flattery. The Bible talks a ton about flattery and about flattering someone. To f it's almost like a false way to build somebody up. Proverbs 28, 23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor with he who flatters with the tongue. And so it's saying, it's better to rebuke somebody than it is to flatter them. And so you're like, well, build this out. Like, I'm not really understanding. Like, what is flattery? Flattery is praise of someone that is exaggerated or sometimes false. Like, Greg, have you lost weight? Oh my gosh, you look great! And it's like, you don't really mean that. <laughs> you don't, he doesn't look like he lost weight. You're just saying things, you know, just for a reason, you know. It's exaggerated or false, and it's usually, flattery is usually done for your own self-interest. And so the Bible talks so much about be careful, be weary if somebody comes to church and they have a flattering tongue and they're building everybody up, and they're doing it for somehow for their own gain. I'm saying watch that. Watch out for that. The heart of flattery at its worst is, I'm lying to you so you'll give me something I want. Right? I'm lying to you. I'm just giving you praises, so you give me something I want. Think of, like, you flattering your boss because you hope to get an extra day of vacation. That's just flattery. Um, you know, in, in, in a very minuscule way, it's when you want people to like you, so you compliment them in hopes that it'll bring you favor and you'll be liked. So I'm going to say good things about you, so hopefully you like me. And so at the end of the day, 
the important words we put out there were really about ourselves, right? I don't really care about how that word affects you. I just hope you like me because it's about me and I want you to care about me. And so that would be like a definition of flattery. Again, if we go back to our main premise that words are incredibly important, we'll think about what we say. And we should never say anything to anyone that we don't believe is true. So when we encourage people, we always have to check our heart and see what the motive is. Is it to build them up or is it to build something in ourselves? So we are asked to build other people up. How do we do that? There's three ways that we encourage other people. And this is like really what true encouragement is. We encourage people, number one, with the truth of Scripture. Okay, that's one of the main ways that we are to encourage people is we go back to the truth of Scripture. Again, if somebody says, you are enough, it's like, well, where is that Bible verse that says I'm enough? Um, so we look at the Scripture. What does the Bible say about you? Um, what does it say about what you're going through? Who in the Bible has gone through something you, that y- your friend is going through that you could tell them? You know, a good encouragement that I feel like is more meaty than saying, dude, you're enough, is you are loved. Like, you are loved, John three sixteen. You are formed intentionally in your mother's womb, so you have value. You are formed intentionally. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, there are so many encouraging things from Scripture that we can draw from. You have gifts. You have purpose. All of these are derived from Scripture. And number two, you can encourage somebody with promises from God. Encouraging, like, find promises from God that fits that person's situation. God will never give you more. He'll never tempt you beyond what you can handle. God will give you wisdom if you ask for him. So, man, if, if you're in a tough spot and you really need wisdom, pray. Ask God for wisdom. He promises to give it. That's a promise. God will—he um, says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. He will promises to never leave you, never forsake you. He says— I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That should encourage you. The hope of, like, heaven coming up down the road is, like, that should encourage us. Like, all of our problems now will seem so small in 200 years when we're in eternity. Chilling with Jesus on paradise's shore. All of these things we're going through now will seem like a distant memory. And you're like, man, we're on earth for just this much time like the tiniest amount of time. And that should give people courage, right? That should give people courage. And the third is, encourage people with reminders that we have already won. How have we won? How have we won? You guys can shout it out. What are ways that we have already won? Grace? Yeah, good. What else? We have the Lord. Amen. What about the cross, right? Like the battle's been won. And it's, and Jesus, what did Jesus, what was his final words on the cross before he went to the tomb? It is finished. It is finished. The, the war is done. Satan is a defeated foe. He's defeated. He's lost. He's on borrowed time. And we have already won the battle. These are all amazing ways, in and out these ways, to encourage other people more than just empty words. 
So we need to encourage our brothers and sisters here at J-Road. In your missional communities, encourage. At your workplaces, build people up. Think of ways to build people up. It's not easy to do. And I, this is my last part, and uh, the worst team will come up here in a minute. But it says this, three qualities of an encourager. And I want you guys to be an encourager. The first one is this, courage. It takes more courage to encourage than it does uh, to discourage. It takes way more courage to encourage than it does to discourage. We just, discouragement sometimes is our natural language, right? And it is hard to encourage people. But we need to think of ways to encourage the people in our families, our spouses, you know, first and foremost, our our, our husband, our wife, our children, we need to think about how to encourage those people first and then go out to our families and friends and neighbors and to say things like, wow, you are like a really awesome guy because you are doing this well. Like telling them truth about themselves is a way to encourage people. Like, hey, I saw that you prayed for somebody after church. That really inspired me, and I just want to tell you, thank you for praying for somebody. I caught that. That was awesome. Thank you for praying for me. How about you just go up to a friend at church and say, hey, I just want to say that you're a really good friend. I just got to say that. Maybe sometimes that feels unnatural to you. That feels weird, but we need to do it. It encourages. And for many of us, we wish we would have said these things while people were still with us than when they're not. So speak it. Like, say it. And, we, and it takes courage because we have to use our words. We have to say something. We have to trust in the Holy Spirit. And we have to practice encouraging people and build them up because our words are super important. It takes, number two, it takes humility to think of others instead of yourself. And it's really like when you're in a place like work, school, church, or, or church setting, or home, if all we're thinking about is our own problems— we're never going to stop and think about who can we encourage. Because guess who's numero uno on our brain? Me. Right? I'm walking down the hall, I'm thinking about is me. When I'm going out to work, all I'm thinking about is me. And when you shift that and put on humility and you start thinking about all of these people that God loves and cherishes, you will start to encourage people. It's getting your mind 